This episode is brought to you by DeSanto Propane. DeSanto has been serving the energy needs of upstate New York since 1937. They're a fourth-generation family-owned business that has prioritized dependability, reliability, and integrity. If you have energy needs, call DeSanto and tell them we sent you. Visit DeSantoPropane.com to learn more. And by the Fox family of dealerships on Route 5 in Auburn. Check out their vast inventory of new and used cars by visiting FoxDealerships.com. Good afternoon or good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are listening. This is episode 217 of the Inside the FLX podcast. I'm Josh Drisso, and today we are sitting down with Scott Comages. He is a Democrat running for New York State Assembly in the 130th District. Uh, Scott, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so you ran in 2018. This is not your first foray into the into the uh, political arena. Um, what, what for you, and I want to get a little bit into your background too, of course, but what for you makes this time around different? What experiences did you sort of pull from that first time around that, that are making this process a little bit easier for you? Well, the first time around was really my first time running ever mm-hmm. for any kind of public office. And so that was kind of jumping in into the deep end, uh, feet first. Learned a lot during that campaign. And, but the same motivations for running remain the same. Nothing really changed as far as that went. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my main motivations for running have been initially for my kids, all right, because in 2016, what I realized, my, my eldest turned 18 years old, and I had not done enough to make the world or help the world a better place for them, make it easier for them, because they're going to have their own challenges, right? They shouldn't have to deal with the same challenges that I'm dealing with. And the polarization that we experienced in 2016 was incredible. We had just everybody fighting it at, 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 all, at all means, and that polarization is kind of dangerous. It prevents us from making any progress one way or the other, right? So if we can't get anything done, then my kids have to work harder in their future lives. And the polarization is also dangerous. You've got a lot of hate going on there. So I was kind of scared for their, for their well-being in that sense too. So that led me into, okay, what can I do? And I said, okay, I'll stand up and I will run for office. Um, went for the state office for, for the assembly in 2018. Was planning on on running against Bob Oaks, but he had bowed out, and so we had a good race against Brian Mangtolo. Mm-hmm. Um, and did learn a lot, quite a lot in there. You know, uh, really getting to know a lot of the people in, in across the district. You know, I've known people in, in where I live in with basically Western Wayne County. Mm-hmm. You know, um, got to lot know know a lot more in Eastern Wayne County and through Cayuga and up in Oswego. And kind of pulling that out. And a lot of people heard the message there that it wasn't necessarily about the specifics, but also exactly how you want to represent, how you want to serve. Mm-hmm. And I think that resonated with them enough to give me enough of a, of a push to say, yeah, I should do it again because, you know, I think I can reach more people and, and, and they'll really understand exactly what I'm trying to do for them. When you look at, uh, obviously, the decision process that went into running this time, uh, what was sort of the timeline like? I'm always curious. What kind of was this something that never really left the back of your mind, or was it something that, you know, this this last year comes around and you start to think to yourself, you know, maybe maybe I need to do this again? Actually, it stayed at the forefront. Mm-hmm. So at the at the last election, you know, obviously I didn't win, but we made enough traction there that I said, okay, 
we made movement here. We made really positive movement. We're not going to let that up. We're going to keep that momentum going and go through the next year. And we had a lot more volunteers for races across Wayne County specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot more engagement publicly. You know, people more, more people joining the discourse. And using that energy and kind of fueling that energy said, okay, this is what we're going to bring into 2020 because I knew I was going to run again. You know, at the end of the 2018 run, yeah, I didn't win, but there was enough there to, pro- to propel me forward saying, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do it again, and we're going to do it until we win. Does the discourse feel, uh, in your experience, substantive, or does it feel like it's a little, a, a little bit sort of broad strokes and less about sort of the nuance of some of the issues that, you know, if you're elected to the assembly, you have you, you have to deal with. You know, when I'm talking to, with a lot of people, we really try to get into the substance of it, all right? Because there's a lot of the, um, surface areas that, that, that people are going, you know, you hear one particular uh, reform they wanted to do. Bail reform is a good example. Mm-hmm. And that drives people over the edge, and they, they concentrate on what they see on the headlines. But when you actually speak to people and get into the real substance of why that bail reform was good and what would be, what would be better served to not necessarily change the bail reform, but what else needed to happen to make it work so that we were all protected and, and safe, while at the same time safeguarding those rights of people that shouldn't be in jail just because they're poor, right? Right, yeah. Um, and people do want to get into that substance. Um, you know, not in large crowds. Large crowds always like the headline and they always like the, uh, the slogans, but yeah. the, what we're doing with this campaign is trying to have more one-on-one conversations or, or smaller conversations and yeah. really get people to know and engage with what all of these issues are going to be. So whether we're talking about health care or education, whether we're talking about... Um, you know, the, the Green New Deal aspect and how that could be, build our economy. Mm-hmm. Really getting into the details and substance of that. You can do that in small, in small groups, but nobody wants to do that in large crowds. Yep. Right? Um, so, but I also have a lot more smaller groups wanting to engage. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a better way of going about it. Interesting. Uh, it's not an approach that we hear about very often, uh, especially in the news business. When you, what have been some of the challenges there, I guess, would be my logical question. You know, I would imagine that that's a lot more time consuming and that means a lot more separate events that you're going to and things like that. Or have you guys sort of found a way to manage it in such a way that it's not totally overwhelming? Um, it's not totally overwhelming, but you do have to sacrifice some things. So what I, what I sacrifice on this is, you know, that, that mysterious call time that every candidate is supposed to be making for fundraising and things like that. I would rather speak with voters, yeah. you know, and I'll make those events and I'll, and I'll make the time and go to houses and, and go to small businesses or go to small venues in order to have that kind of discourse with people. And I think that's pr- probably more valuable. And, you know, as your assemblyman, that's really what my job is to do, right? Yep. I have to serve everybody. I can't serve just big donors and I can't just look for big donors. I need to actually talk with voters and see how what we, <laughs> what we do in Albany would affect their lives directly. Your campaign, for those who, who might not be plugged in yet, it's still early. Hmm. Um, what are some of the sort of pillars, and, and as far as the issues go, what are some of the, the big issues or core issues that you're really interested in tackling? Well, the main issue that I'm tackling you know, right at the start is we, we're not really represented in Albany right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been sending for decades the same kind of person who goes to Albany and basically opposes what Albany does. Mm-hmm. And there's a place for that. All right, because not everything Albany does is good for our area. Mm-hmm. But really, what we want is somebody who can work with the majority there, who can 
come up with ways, a rural perspective on ways that we can get these measures passed. Um, and as, as far as uh, you know, main issues to tackle that way, healthcare remains the uh, the top issue for this entire district. You know, and that's both in covering how how we're paying for it, but also access, because we have a lot of people who are an hour away, at least, and sometimes more, from health services. You know, so you you bring in transportation on that. You bring in a lot of a lot of different other issues that are all relevant to healthcare, and we we need to address that. Um, education is another one. Fully funding our education system, uh, we have a a foundation aid formula that has never actually been fully funded. Mm-hmm. It needs to be updated now because we actually we've increased the requirements that we have for our education services. So we need to update that. We need to use a- accurate census data to reflect the actual communities that we're serving. Because I think if we use the data that they were using, there are I know in, specifically in Wayne County and probably Cuyahoga County too that there are communities that might seem more affluent back in 2000 than they do today. Right. Right. And so we need information that will reflect their needs as well. Um, but I would really like to see that that formula fully funded mm-hmm. and see if it really does achieve what it was meant to do. Um, we've never seen that. Um, I, have, I'm, I, I have a little bit of skepticism about that because I think that we need to revisit how we fund education completely. Um, I would like to go away from property taxes on that if we can. And, and it's something that I haven't completely delved into, but I want to do some research on this. Um, because if we can go away from property taxes and fund it through a different stream and yet retain local control of how the money is spent for the, each district, then I think we'll have a better way of, of addressing our education needs. And the last thing that we really want to talk about is it, it gets put down into infrastru- infrastructure, but it really is economic development around renewable energies and sustainable efforts. Um, but it really boils down to how are we improving our infrastructure. And, and to that end, you mentioned infrastructure and you mentioned transportation, um, sort of connected to the healthcare issue, but transportation, generally speaking, in a lot of the rural counties in the Finger Lakes is an issue. It's a challenge. It is. Um, how do you, since sol- solving any of those issues sort of independently is going to be very expensive and very complex um, how do you sort of approach that, or, or how would you approach that conversation in Albany, uh, in terms of getting some some equity in terms of what you know upstate rural upstate is getting versus what is being spent in other communities with with you know higher population figures? Well, there's two things on that. So I mean, you, you mentioned tackling indivi- each of those individually is going to cost a lot. We can't tackle tackle them individually. We have to see them as the full picture. Mm-hmm. They all have you know, the intersectionality behind all that is incredibly complex. So you're not going to touch one without touching another. But as to approaching Albany and saying, okay, we need more resources here in, in Finger Lakes and Central New York, remind them of the contributions that we make. Yeah. You know, we are where the power is generated for most of the state. You know, we've got a, a couple of nuclear power plants that help with that, but we can also be where the renewable energy power is generated for the, for the most part. We are providing the food that we eat. We are providing... Um, a lot of the tourism that that New York is, is that New York State really is dependent on is depending on all of the ecotourism that we have. So we've got the canal path that people bike up and down. We've got um, lots of camping resorts. We've got the Adirondacks and the Finger Lakes as just hiking you know, spots. Lots of things like that that we really should be um, concentrating on. That we provide through agriculture a five billion dollar industry that contributes to the state's economy. You can't ignore that. Yeah. So 
these are the contributions that rural central New York gives, we should be getting something back as well. Another one of the, the infrastructure items that has been getting a lot of traction lately, uh, curious how, how prominently in the, the 130th as far as you have seen uh, broadband access or access to broadband, good broadband, not just any old broadband. Right. Uh, in terms of infrastructure and priority, has, has that been something that's sort of popped up on your radar when you've been talking to folks? Absolutely. You know, and, and when you have, a, you know, our business atmosphere is changing and everything is going, you know, being, being centered more and more online, that you have to have that access. It's a utility that businesses need, yeah. right? And where I live right now, I was lucky that on the road that I live, I got good broadband. One road over from me does not have it. Yeah. Um, and... And that's still closer to east, you know, to the western side of Wayne County, where it's more developed. Yeah. And the eastern portions of, of Wayne County certainly don't have it. There's portions of, of Cayuga that don't have access to broadband, and that's abominable because this is something that we are saying that this is necessary to go on and plan your future as far as business concern, education. You know, it really touches on a lot of lives. Um, so it is an it is a top priority as far as infrastructure goes. And it's interesting because you know there's already been some spending. Uh, from the state in terms of trying to correct this. Um, is this something where, where you think, you know, maybe part of the problem is sort of the inefficiencies and in how Albany and the government goes about sort of distributing the dollars rather than just the, the raw spending itself? You know, everybody has their own pet projects. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we have to do in Albany, you know, and, and I, would, I would think in legislatures across the country, but specifically what we can control in Albany, <laughs> is we have to come up with a, a cognizant set of goals. This is what we want to accomplish so, so that we actually can and get everybody on board on that and get everybody to understand that this is important for all of our districts, um, that this kind of connectivity builds a state community that is going to, to lift us all up. Mm -hmm. um, that we have to get past the petty politics. And I think there are a lot more people get, trying to get into office right now that genuinely want to serve all of the people. You know, I'm, I'm not going in there, there to serve just Democrats in my district. I'm, I'm going there to serve everybody in my district. Um, and also everybody in the state when it comes down to it. I can't just think about just this district. You have to see how everything connects there. To that end, I want to build bridges with people downstate and say, okay, how, how are we affecting each other? Mm -hmm. And not make it a pet project for anybody necessarily, but see what the bigger picture is, because that's what the state level is, and then work with our municipalities. Make sure we have a good par partnership with them to make sure that all of this is occurring, mm -hmm. you know, so that we can get more efficient. And we can. We can. We just have to get past certain personalities. Uh, when you mention the health care issue, uh, especially in terms of access in some of these rural communities, um, it, it seems to be, as we talk to more and more uh, folks who work in health care, a, a jobs issue more than it is anything else. It seems to be that there just aren't enough healthcare professionals in a lot of these communities, especially recruiting to rural communities. Um, how does that sort of play into how you would like to approach this problem and, and maybe find a solution so that there are more uh, professionals in the environment that are that are coming to the Finger Lakes and coming to some of these more rural communities? So, you know, it's if you look at it in a different way, because I think a lot of healthcare professionals look at it, at it as in they have to build a market mm -hmm. and they have to be show profit for it. If we took that profit motive out of it, you know, if we went to a single payer kind of healthcare system, then you are showing that you're going to build the community from the state side 
saying that we, you know, we're going to get the professionals there. We have lots of schools within New York State that are training a lot of healthcare professionals. I mean, you've got U of R, you've got um, Syracuse, you know, both big medical schools there, um, and you've got much more around the state, Buffalo, and and, uh, yeah. and we can track people saying we have a guaranteed job for you, and you don't have to measure up to um, an insurance company's standards for profit. Mm-hmm. Okay, that your job. Ideally, if you're going into the medical medical profession to begin with, is to serve people and to help them get better health care mm-hmm. and, and treat them. That I think we can bring them in if we are developing the infrastructure that enables them to do so. So as a state, if we are looking at increasing the number of medical facilities that we have, that we increase the number of jobs, which a single-payer system would help do, mm-hmm. um, then I think we can address that a lot more. When you look at it, particularly college students, post-grad students, that sort of, we'll say, the 25 to 35 range, um, that seems to be the, the population that gets the most focus when we're talking about uh, the population loss in New York State, particularly upstate New York. Um, what, would be, what do you think the state sort of has to do in order to retain some of, some of those people, um, depending on how the, the census count coming up now turns out um is there anything albany can do or is that not an albany problem and and should it be sort of directed somewhere else no it's definitely an albany it's a it's a statewide problem um you have to give them incentive for staying to begin with all right we give them education um we don't give them homes necessarily that they can afford right now so you know what what are the actual solutions we're looking at you can you spend some money in actual economic development um making sure that you are actually getting job creators versus people who will give you some far-fetched plan that says, okay, we're going to get lots of money because we're bringing sewage in from New York City into Wayne County. Okay. Um, we're almost there. Don't worry. We're oh, going to yeah. get to that. I know. <laughs> but, you know, you come up with a plan that says, okay, we're, we're definitely going to get a lot of money this way, but you haven't shown, you haven't demonstrated what the jobs are going to be that, that are attached to that. Yeah. And was that, would anybody want those jobs? Right. You know, as opposed to, you know, we have encouraged a lot of people to go for um, tech. All right? Tech jobs are, are, are huge in the United States. That's, what, that's the big money maker, and everybody goes for that. You, go, you have engineers going for that. You have all kinds of stuff like that. You have tech schools in New York State but we never really supported the tech industry in New York State. Okay, so if we were willing to to help develop some of these companies around, like Syracuse is a good hub for tech, Rochester is a good hub for tech, um, that would also retain people in that age group, you know, younger a younger crowd. Um, and in the rural communities, <coughs> looking at agritech, biotech, you know, and encouraging that as well. There's other other kinds of agricultural products that we can look at aside from corn and soy that don't take enormous acres of land but that can enable a small farmer to actually develop and thrive that way. Is it is it a stretch to argue, and this is just sort of my personal curiosity, is it a stretch to argue that infrastructure is part of the retention problem that upstate New York is seeing, especially as it, as it pertains to that entrepreneurial group, the people who are sort of trying to blaze their own path as opposed to go to work for a corporation, mm-hmm. when you have lacking infrastructure in some of these more rural communities, is it difficult to, to 
get that retention going on in those places because of that? Yeah, that's not a stretch argument at all. If you if you go into a community and let's say you go into any rural village, okay, and I can count right at the start on the main street about 10 empty storefronts. Nobody wants to go there and start a business because they can see businesses don't thrive there. Yeah. And they look around and it's like, okay, the roads are in terrible shape. They don't have broadband. They, you know, they don't know what the, uh, the storm sewers are like. Yeah. Um, you know, well, all you're seeing is basically a ghost town. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to stay there. Nobody wants to live in a ghost town. Um, but if you did spend some money on the infrastructure, if you did get the roads there, <laughs> if you got a, a actual good public transportation, a statewide public transportation, if you had rail again that was actually connecting our communities, that might help some, some of these rural communities because the rural communities provide some of the best living space and some of the best education space in, in, in the state. But it is a hassle to say, okay, well, I'm going to drive 45 minutes one, day, one way every day to get to work and 45 minutes back and not be exhausted at the end of the day. Plus, have, you know, if you have kids at that point, how are you dealing with childcare? How are you dealing with um, all of the things that kids do in addition to schooling, mm-hmm. all, all the extracurricular activities, all of your own extracurricular activities? And maybe just having a, a you know, if we did high-speed high speed rail, which is, I know Governor Cuomo brought that up, and that's, I don't want to call it a pipe dream. I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah. But it is one of those goals that I would love to see high-speed rail here because we, if we could trim that, travel time down, then it becomes more uh, of a reality for living in our rural communities than it does right now. Okay, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of infrastructure projects that we really should be looking at. And everybody's going to look at, well, okay, the cost of infrastructure projects, that's, that's an enormous amount of money. And it is. Yeah. My argument is it's worth spending it. You know, If we have to get loans for it or however we're going to finance it, it's probably going to be worth it in the long run because we're going to build these communities back up again. You know? Is it, do you see it as being short-sighted to, uh, to sort of uh, tamp down or, or push back against some of these bigger price projects or higher price projects, especially in the infrastructure space, given that they, they seem like they're pretty crucial in terms of just allowing some of these more rural communities to continue existing? I'm, you know, you look at some of, some of these communities, and I don't want to pick on, you know, a, a Clyde or something like that, but, you know, it, you go through a community like that and you wonder what is this place going to be like in 15 or 20 years if something doesn't change, if there isn't some sort of spending from Albany to, to help and, and sort of ensure that these communities can, can, can continue thriving or continue existing even? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, if you – that really is it. I mean, you, you, you go through a place like Clyde, and Clyde, you can see the potential there. You can see what it was. Right. You know? And it doesn't seem you, you, you come up with some it's kind of simplistic, oh, if they would just fix their roads or if they would just do X project. But then you actually look at the cost of what those projects are in right. today's dollars. <laughs> you know, what kind of support are they really getting? And mm-hmm. when we go to Albany and say, look, we have communities that need our help, communities that could thrive, um, communities that could grow again if you would just help us a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that is very reasonable. I think that um, I think that's one of the key things that we have to do in the assembly and and the state legislature, you know, um, the state senate, um, is to constantly reinforce the the communities that we have out here that can thrive, that do actually contribute a lot to the state, if they're given the chance. <coughs> you know, how often does housing come up as an issue 
in in that district as you're sort of talking to different folks? So, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. It hardly ever came up in 2018 for me. Yeah. This year it's coming up a lot more, all right? Um, and for the rental units, people are kind of excited and, and the landlords are a little bit pissed because New York State did extend the tenant protection program that it did, um, which I think is a good thing because, you know, New York City had always had, you know, the, the rent control issues that they had there um, and the tenant rights protections that they had there needed to be expanded to the rest of the state because it's not like in rural areas we didn't have similar problems, right? But with the rest of housing, owning a home, which is much more, which I'm more more interested in, in people actually being able to own their homes again, the housing market and right around me, it the prices go up and up and up, um, which is actually forcing a lot of people to vacate the state again because they can't afford to stay in their homes. Um, with the prices going up that way, the assessments go up, the taxes do go up, and people are worried about that. Um, so when housing comes up now, you have seniors who are worried about losing their home because. They're worried about taxes. Yeah. Um, you have younger people who say, I can't afford a home because the job that I've got doesn't pay enough to warrant the, the mortgage on it. Um, and what can we do about that? Mm-hmm. And this is one of those cases where I actually look at them and say, I haven't done enough research, to, um, to be totally honest with you. It's a problem, and I want to do something more, but I don't, I don't want to give you just a quick answer though oh yeah we've got to we've got to fix this we've got to make programs that are available for first-time buyers that will pay for most of the housing right because you can't necessarily do that but you want a real solution real solutions take time and effort to really go through um and i hate to say say it to people but okay work with me on it and let's come up with a real solution um and in rural communities again you might come up with what are you know people have described as dilapidated housing, right? And there was one, one house in, in my hometown in Palmyra. Guy bought the house, and he, he, he probably bought it for $30,000, right? It's a, it's a large house. It's in terrible disrepair. He's going to spend a lot of money over his lifetime to get that home to a real living home. I want him to. I want him to achieve that goal. I want him to have that home, and hopefully, he has that home to pass on to his kids if he wants to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we come up with programs where, okay, you want to, you want to fix up a dilapidated house. We want you to fix up that dilapidated house because it works in both of our interests. You get a home, and eventually, that the property value will increase. The tax base will increase. You'll contribute more to your community. You'll be more of a part of the community. If the state can help you do that, then that's a good thing. Right, and that will also help state retention. Won't it? Does the age and and of course I'm I'm not pressing you because I know like you said you're you're still in the research phase of this, but mm-hmm. does the the age of the housing stock come up as kind of maybe a, a point of stress in the system? Whereas, you know, in I'll, I use Seneca County as an example, there hasn't really been a new housing development in probably like 20, 25 ish sure. years. Um, that's pretty common in a lot of rural communities in upstate New York. Is that a, a point of a point of stress, or you think that's maybe part of the issue at least? I'm not sure because you know when you get the the newer housing developments, they tend to be higher priced houses to begin right, right. with, yeah. um, and for a younger age, unless you have really hit a good job, you know, that enables you to buy a, a house, you know, three hundred thousand dollars more, um, which a lot of the new houses do. They they get built, and that's that's their price tag. Um, 
I think that a lot of a lot of younger folks, especially in rural areas, are looking at those older housing stock and saying, "Okay, what can I do with that to make it good?" Um, several friends of mine have done that, and a lot of the houses, again, throughout Wayne County, at least that I've seen, you know, they buy the house, they might gut the entire inside, you know, as much as possible and recondition it, but that was a better investment for them than say a new house. Um, Let's talk about the uh, the proposal by Tully Environmental to uh, bring New York City sewer sludge. Yes, I said sewer sludge uh, to Butler, Wayne County. Um, and an interesting proposal for a lot of different reasons. But first, I just want to get sort of uh, your broad thoughts on on that proposal and how it sort of has blossomed over the last few weeks. Sure. Well, I mean, the knee jerk reaction is, oh my God, no, right? Because you're bringing sewer sludge up into a rural area. Um, but I don't necessarily like to look at it as just a, from the knee-jerk reaction. Okay, let's look at the actual proposal. What are they saying? What are the possible benefits? And so everybody's always going to put, point to the economic benefits of that. There's mm-hmm. possible money coming in from a, a new a new river, new stream that can help the community and build the community up, right? But then I have to, I'll, the whole list of questions comes up. Okay, what exactly is the content in the sewer sludge? that you're proposing to make into compost fertilizer, I'm assuming for agricultural purposes. Um, and how are you how are you separating out any of the toxic elements that might be in there? Um, what's the time frame for the composting? When's it, when's it actually going to turn you a profit? Um, aside from just you know trucking it out from New York City because they don't want it anymore. What is, what is the damage to the roads done by all the trucks coming in with sewer sludge? Um, what are the other environmental factors that are going in, into there? You know, is it going to seep into the groundwater supply? You're planning on putting it next to a dairy farm. How's that, how's that going to affect the dairy operations? Is that going to affect the groundwater that they depend on? Um, what are the health concerns about that? Is it going to drive up healthcare costs because you've got this potentially toxic toxic sewage in the in the area and affecting there? You know, is it going to drive property values down? And I can guarantee you it probably will. You know, as you look into research on this, you know, smells like this do pr- drive drive property values down. Um, I think there are probably two more too many negatives to, that outweigh any potential economic benefit, unless that economic benefit is you're, you're talking billions of dollars. And I can't I can hardly think that it's going to be billions of dollars of sewer sludge that you're going to make into fertilizer. Um, you know. And and also, why does our economic development plan have to be centered around making us the trash bin of New York State? All the Finger Lakes, we've got, you know, off the top of my head, two extraordinarily large uh, dumps right now. The, you know, the landfills in Seneca Falls and in Macedon and, and, and Fairport. Um, and those are just building, building up bigger and bigger. And they are already driving people away. Do we need to make, take, make another area and say, okay, never mind just the trash and garbage. We're going to take raw sewage and put it there. Um, I think we can have more productive means of making an economic, economic development plan that doesn't involve us being the trash bin of New York State. And as we sort of wrap up here, uh, obviously I'm sure you're, you're busy going through petitioning and all that kind of stuff right now. Um, where can folks learn more about your campaign? Where can they touch base with you or even uh, reach out if they have a question? Oh, there's a couple, a couple of different ways. Obviously, you can go to the website, which is electscottcomages.com. 
Um, you can interact with us on Facebook um, at Scott Comedies for New York. If you look, if you search that in Facebook, on Twitter it's at Scott Comedies, um, and I try to be very responsive to all those. Um, so if people want to start a conversation, I'm I'm looking for that conversation. All right, Scott. Appreciate the time. Thanks for coming up. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for joining us this hour on Inside the FLX. I'm Josh Durso, and we'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, download the FingerLegs1.com app to have the latest local breaking news, alerts, and podcasts delivered right to your hand each and every day. Follow and subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can support us, head over to Patreon.com slash FL1 to pledge monthly support. If you have an idea for a show or simply want to let your voice be heard, drop us an email or leave us a voice message by visiting InsideTheFLX.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you back here next week.